0: Bitcoin und Co. Der Podcast über Kryptowährungen, Blockchain-Anwendungen und das digitale Leben. Mit Buchautorin und Bitcoin-Expertin Anita Posch.
1: Hello, my guest today is Rahim Tahit Zagedan. He is an economist, book author and principal of the Scholarium, a learning enterprise based in Vienna, Austria. He studied physics, sociology and economy economy, and is an expert on the Austrian School of Economics. Today we are going to talk about the interconnections between a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and the ideas and philosophy of the Austrian School of Economics. And we will take a look at the broader picture, the economical context in which we currently live and act. Hello Rahim, thanks for taking your time for this podcast. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Can you please uh, introduce yourself and talk about why and how you got to know about Austrian economics and what was the reason for you to found the Scholarium?
2: interesting thing is I've grown up in Austria, but I haven't heard about the Austrian school in Austria. When I was studying economics, it was only through uh, natural science that I went to the United States. uh, And there I happened to discover that there's a tradition Well, the Austrian School of Economics, and I was surprised. Uh, I already had a deep interest in economics and and philosophical questions. and I was surprised uh, to find out more why this uh, tradition has disappeared in Austria and how it has lived on in the United States and why it's still a vibrant uh, tradition. And uh, at the time, even in the United States, it was part of fringe uh, tradition and fringe school. And it was only with the financial crisis in 2007-2008 that uh, the popularity or knowledge about the Austrian school has increased because uh, it uh, has proved itself to be a more realistic outlook, uh, in particular of the financial markets, uh, one major... Aspect of uh, the Austrian school is its business cycle theory. Uh, so it practically helped uh, quite a lot of people to uh, better survive the up and downs in the market.
1: And uh, when you came back from the US, you founded the Scholarium?
2: Uh, no, not immediately. not immediately. Uh, uh, Back in Austria, I was a bit surprised and frustrated how economics was taught at university. It seemed to be quite ideological. I had studied physics before, and it was quite normal that if you find an error, let's say that the professor is teaching something and you point out an error on the blackboard, he'd be quite appreciative and say, thank you, I missed something. And in economics, I found that it's usually escalated into ideological debates. Well, I found perceived errors or unrealistic premises and assumptions. I uh, found usually there's not such a strong background in uh, really explaining why you use certain premises and how you uh, reach certain conclusions. Uh, uh, And uh, that was a bit frustrating to me. And uh, it still is. I'm still teaching at university. I'm even lecturing in economics. Uh, And what's highly frustrating is that usually with your uh, colleagues in economics, there is uh, scarcely any debate uh, on on methodology, on how you approach the subject. it's a quite bureaucratic uh, field, <laughs> I'd say. Uh, so most is about who gets to teach which hours and uh, what mm-hmm. time. And then in particular, the students as well, particularly in the field of economics, most of them don't really have an interest in economics. It's like they take economics because they think, well, that'll get you a job, because jobs is the economy. So if you learn the economy, it's supposed to be something very general. and preparing you for being part of the economy. Uh, but I had discovered that economics itself is a part of a very rich program of understanding real human beings and interactions of real human beings. And it's something that you do out of curiosity for mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on. Uh, so that's frustrating as well. And I found... I i reached the conclusion that uh, it's too late to try to reform the university from within in particular in the areas of the human social sciences um, and uh, that's why I've, i i founded the scolarium as uh, our motto our uh, uh, um, aim of being is to be what the university could have been but was never allowed to be and there's this open-ended curious approach to understand uh, phenomena in a very interdisciplinary fashion Um, and uh, we've been trying to do that for more than 10 years uh, now and I still think that is the right approach to Not only economic phenomena, but phenomena of human beings interacting and forming all these magnificent, uh, complex phenomena that we try to study in economics. Mm
1: -hmm. But why is the Austrian School of Economics so unknown? I mean, I admit, before I was interested in Bitcoin, I had no idea about it too. And also, you don't learn anything about economy in general in school. I mean, that's a big problem. I mean, you said you studied physics. Yeah, you learn physics, but you don't learn the basics of economy or uh, an entrepreneurial um, way of thinking and living in school. You don't learn it. it, 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 It's a system, or I mean, maybe that's the the reason for it. It's a system to um, produce people who work and do their jobs. I mean, that's maybe very... um, Um, extreme, but do you think it is in your way like that?
2: Yeah, well, there's something odd, of course, and there are political motives as well, but it's a bit more complicated uh, picture. I mean, the tradition Austria disappeared with almost every other scientific tradition Austria because we had a totalitarian phase being part of the German Empire, uh, of course, uh, and uh, most uh, representatives of the Austrian school had to leave uh, Austria. Uh, uh, But then... uh, economics itself took a turn and it took a turn uh, towards uh, trying to copy the methods of the natural sciences uh, later on and uh, it was not copied uh, in a very good and profound way it was rather copying the results of physics and mathematics of 100 200 years ago uh, because even modern physics would lead you to a more appreciative picture of dynamic complex systems but uh, What turned out to be more feasible was to consider the economy as if it was a static system, uh, which you can easily model using fairly simple equations, uh, and where in the end you can have quantitative results. Uh, And the need for those quantitative results comes from politics, uh, of course. You need numbers, because numbers somehow seem scientific, uh, and... uh, there is a lot of political interest in uh, economic numbers. Uh, just uh, try to figure out if the, the inflation rate, if it's 2% or 3%, uh, that's billions uh, of euro dollars that are really uh, on, on, on the table uh, concerning these numbers. Uh, so there's a big political interest. And- it was uh, Schumpeter, not a representative, but a student of the Austrian school who realized that uh, Politics needs numbers. Uh, It needs numbers to uh, legitimize and rationalize its decisions. Uh, And uh, that's why economics took a turn to become a more quantitative science. Uh, And uh, it's usually econometrics, which is quite dominant uh, nowadays. But the problem with human beings is that they don't behave like particles it's they are living, vibrant beings uh, which are able to learn. Uh, and so from a methodological point of view, it doesn't really make sense to treat them as if they were particles. Uh, in particular, if you treat them as if they were particles, like in the simplest physical systems around uh, because even in some more complex physical systems you see a behavior uh, which is uh, uh, still not predictable uh, you have uh, chaotic uh, dynamics uh, and so on and uh, economics doesn't even have reached this uh, uh, level of complexity yes uh, i'd say
1: and with this complexity also comes the problem of instability oh? so um not knowing what will be the next. Nobody can uh, say what comes next.
2: Yes, Uh, I call it profound uncertainty. Uh, And uh, the interesting thing is that uh, it's only with uncertainty that you have entrepreneurship and it's only with uncertainty that you need money. Without uncertainty, there wouldn't be need for demand for money, if you knew in advance exactly your preferences and how everything else in the, sh- in the world will be shaped at the time when you need it, you just have a direct uh, exchange, indirect exchange. And the demand for money is always due to uncertainty. It's to cope with a future, which you uh, can't tell right now. You don't know which human beings will be uh, your cooperative partners, your exchange partners, uh, and so on. And so interestingly, neoclassical economics, by uh, leaving uncertainty out of the picture, has largely ignored the entrepreneur and has largely ignored monetary theory. Uh, And uh, I find it quite odd that I think that those are the most important, the most uh, crucial features of a real economy. It's entrepreneurship uh, and money and coping with uncertainty.
1: That's interesting. What is Money in the Austrian School of Economics, or what's the definition of money?
2: The most important thing about money is it's an emergent phenomenon. That's the starting point of Karl Menger's analysis. It's to see money not as some concrete object in the world, but a phenomenon. So it appears out of human interaction. And it's an emergent phenomenon, which means that its complexity tends to be higher than its simplest elements. So it's not just coins or something, it's the whole complex phenomenon that arises out of human interaction. Uh, and emergence means it's not designed, not necessarily designed, not necessarily constructed by one single mind. Uh, of course, there may be single minds proposing and changing something, but the process of adaption of something as money is a process of discovery. Where a lot of individuals try something out, have their own ideas about the future, and they discover something. They discover that certain goods or certain devices uh, differ from other goods. Uh, and the main aspect of moneyness, which you would have to call it, uh, is that there are some goods which are more marketable than other goods. Uh, which means uh, if you acquire those goods, you find your uh, exchange options increasing. You have more access to more markets, more people, more uh, in comparison to a certain physical good, like let's see, coffee, I'm restricted if I exchange coffee with people who like coffee. Uh, and, but there are goods which are more marketable than coffee. But in order to discover that, that's a kind of mutual discovery procedure because there's always another party which might say, "No, I don't see it that way. I don't trust it." Uh, so uh, that's the interesting thing about money: it's an emergent, complex phenomenon. Uh, And it's a discovery that is more of a characteristics of certain aspects of human action. And this characteristic is higher marketability, or you might call it liquidity, uh, but I tend to prefer uh, the term marketability. It was Mark Menger's term as well. It's what he uh, discovered. There's a a distinct difference uh, between groups of goods, not only between consumption goods and producer goods, capital goods, that's what he discovered as well different orders of goods but there's another category of goods uh, in itself and uh, so money is not just capital Uh, money can be transformed into capital but when it's transformed into capital it loses part of the marketability and the liquidity so that's where uncertainty then comes in and uh, creates entrepreneurship Uh, and it's a totally different outlook onto economic phenomena i'd say
1: I mean, one one of the biggest problems now is the massive amount of debt we have. Mm-hmm. And, and there is so much money around, which doesn't know where to go. And, I mean, my conclusion is then people immediately want to buy things, they, they consume, mm-hmm. and the other people who have more money, they buy property uh, and high-risk investments, et cetera. So actually, in the middle, the people in the middle – They spend their money because saving is not an option, because if you give your money to the bank, you lose value, de facto. So um, in this world, um, (laughs) where also mass consumerism seems to be the the holy cow in a way, you know. Everybody says, um, we have to grow, we need growth. Um, that's the only um, way our economy and our growth um, and our wealth uh, can sustain. But, I mean, in today's world, when we see what's happening on our planet, like global warming, etc., all those problems, um, growth cannot be answer. So oh, this this kind of growth, what do you think?
2: Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a very complex <laughs> <Yeah. No> problem, <laughs> of course. Uh, it's that's, uh, uh, People usually not satisfied with how emergent phenomena come about because you can always figure out the world which seems to be better designed, better constructed. So there was a political process going on, reacting towards what money, what people had discovered as more marketable goods. Uh, because the problem from the political point of view is that most people seem to hold on to uh, money. They seem to be holders uh, uh, or hoarding uh, money to a larger extent than economists or politicians found reasonable. Uh, and uh, so we have seen throughout history uh, a fight against hoarding and uh, uh, trying to make people spend money has uh, led to a lot of interventions, in particular money losing its purchasing power and that's one of the Very few constants in history is that almost every money has lost purchasing power uh, over a a long time. And this loss of purchasing power, of course, comes about by um, an increase in the supply of money and in particular in an intervention in the interest rates, which pushes the interest rate very low, uh, lower than um, it would be if it was only – according to the decisions of people, how much they save, how much they invest, how much they consume. Uh, We now have interest rates almost at zero, um, which means uh, it's uh, it makes sense to get debt, to get a high level of debt. Uh, It's not costly. Uh, And uh, what politicians and economists had expected is with it being easier for people to get credit they would start investing i mean small people would become entrepreneurs it would be easy to make money uh, but the thing is that has happened is the majority has not become uh, credit financed entrepreneurs but credit financed consumers uh, so that's the mass consumer that, yeah. that you mentioned before uh, so i i think in the end we can say it has failed, but not uh, most people won 't agree yet that it has really failed. It still say, well material wealth has been rising enormously, and that 's true. Uh, just uh, the thing is that we have huge distortions uh, in this world, and um, you need the analysis of the Austrian school to understand those distortions, and that 's uh, the core of the business cycle theory uh, that tells you pay attention if the quantity and the quality of money changes by fiat uh, uh, due to an intervention, uh, the economy will move away from the preferences of the people. Uh, so it might be that there's more consumption than in the long term people would be willing to sustain, and there's more long-term investment than people are willing uh, to bear uh, with their uh, consumption decisions. Uh, So you find an economy that's more and further and further away from what people really in the long run would like to be around. Uh, uh, And you have the cyclical corrections happening. There's depressions, corrections on on, on the market, the cyclical boom-bust cycle, uh, and and the zero interest rate leads to a continuous uh, devaluation of money and that of course leads to uh, the, necess- the necessity to always uh, uh, keep track with this devaluation. Nowadays you can't just uh, save money, you lose it over time if you just have it in your bank account or uh, just put it in your piggy bank, uh, you need to invest it, uh, which usually means nowadays you need to speculate, you need to buy shares uh, or bonds. Uh, and there's a pressure there's a huge opportunity cost if you don't do that and that leads to this growth cycle you you really need that endless growth in order to just make up for your devaluation if there wasn't this growth you'd realize human beings that uh, uh, you can really provide for old age because your savings will devalue uh, if there's not ongoing increasing uh, material output uh, and uh, increasing possibility to consume. Uh, and if it's not yourself, it'll be the state, uh, which incurs debt and then redistributes money so that people can go on consuming in old age. Uh, without that, uh, that'd be a massive correction, uh, which most people wouldn't be willing to take. So it's a kind of a vicious circle uh, going on.
1: So we don't have any way to an alternative economy? Uh, or or would not it be a very well, disruptive?
2: Uh, The problem about politics is it's always a zero-one decisions. Uh, It's grand scale. You think about the euro or the dollar. You think about managing a whole uh, uh, currency area. Uh, And that, uh, I think, is what you call a a hebris. Uh, 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 You assume that such complex phenomena are controllable in the large scale. And the problem is those systems uh, are not capable to learn anymore. It's not this discovery process that I mentioned earlier. You can only have that if individual people are able to uh, use something else, to try something else, to learn from their mistakes, uh, that you can learn from other people. Uh, So I think with cryptocurrencies, we see the very interesting phenomenon of something emerging quasi at the side, at the fringes of societies, people trying out, playing with things. Uh, And that's the usual way how innovation happens. It's very unlikely that you have a political switch, uh, which somehow has a solution for everyone instantaneously. Uh, uh, So usually it's processes that happen all the while, um, and and they're dynamic uh, and going on, and we can tell uh, what will be the result in the future. But of course, with more and more people realizing that they're, it's really difficult to uh, provide for old ages. It's really difficult uh, uh, nowadays in the economy to, to invest uh, or to even to find uh, a small-scale company. You're looking for alternative ways. Uh, um, uh, you have these cartels, the banking cartels, and exchange cartels, and for a small company, Even though we have massive credit inflation, it has become more difficult to get a credit from a Mm -hmm. bank. Mm -hmm. It has become immensely expensive to be a listed company and and, uh, get investors from the outside. Uh, So it's like a vicious circle. You need the millions before being able to raise the millions if you go the traditional pathway. And that, of course, leads people to try out other things, play with other things. And that's where change uh, can happen. Just by being an example, people learning from it and saying, "Oh, wow, that might just work. Uh, I give it a try."
1: Eine kurze Einschaltung unseres Sponsors der Firma Co Infinity. Vielen
0: Dank für Ihr Verständnis. Es geht in Kürze weiter. Dieser Podcast wird freundlicherweise unterstützt von Coinfinity, einem österreichischen Bitcoin-Broker und Kompetenzzentrum für Blockchain-Lösungen. Kaufen Sie Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin und Dash über die Website von Coinfinity oder auch in jeder österreichischen Trafik über das Gutscheinprodukt Bitcoin-Bohn. Coinfinity bietet auch die sogenannte Bitcoin-Wertschrift an. Physische Bitcoins, die eine langfristige und sichere Aufbewahrung ermöglichen. Weiters berät Coinfinity Unternehmen bei der Nutzung von Kryptowährungen und der technischen Abwicklung von ICOs. Kundenberatung wird bei Coinfinity großgeschrieben. Rufen Sie einfach an, kommen Sie im Office in Graz vorbei oder besuchen Sie Coinfinity unter www.coinfinity.co.
1: Do you think that, uh, I mean, if we take for instance Bitcoin, which today is the 10th birthday of the Bitcoin White Paper, um, which was as far as we know born in the us i mean that's predict i mean we don't know where it was mm-hmm. born but yeah you can guess um do you think that uh, countries like china or russia will accept that i mean uh they cannot really forbid it but um they can have regulations or something or maybe uh Do they maybe see it even as an alternative to the U.S. dollar being the world currency so that the Chinese and the Russians and other countries say, okay, at least now uh, people have their private money, which is an alternative to uh, the U.S. dollar?
2: Definitely. The US dollar is the reserve currency right now, and that leads to an exorbitant privilege for the United States. They're able to inflate the amount of dollars to a much larger extent than they're capable to produce goods and services which people really want so it's basically best back by a military power uh, and uh, well that's just history is nothing bad uh, in itself it tends to be that there's dominant power at a certain time in history and its currency becomes the reserve currency as we had with the british pound before when the british was still in global empire and so on uh, and right now we're in the time of the american empire uh, you have to call it like that even a value neutral way <laughs> i'd say uh, and potentially a chinese empire russian empire be worse <laughs> than uh, what we are having. Uh, but there's quite an interest in asking the question what might be after the dollar mm. as a reserve currency. And we are seeing signs right now that there's a kind of discovery procedure going on. And the question might the world uh, go back from a unipolar order into a multipolar order with more competing geopolitical structures? Uh, uh, and, of course, the Chinese and the Russians will have, would like to have a larger share of the cake. Uh, and so they're experimenting. And uh, But they have a top-down approach. So they haven't really uh, welcomed uh, cryptocurrencies. They should have, uh, I think, because really the main... Right now, uh, cryptocurrency would be mainly a challenge for the dollar uh, because going into cryptocurrency more or less reflects... Uh, uh, Reducing trust or reduced trust in the dollar as the main reserve currency. Uh, And uh, so an alternative monetary order would have need to have different currencies or a mix of different currencies uh, and different assets maybe as well. It's possible that gold might play a larger role. The Chinese and the Russians are acquiring gold to a very large extent. Uh, but at the same time, they are interested in cryptocurrencies. And I think they are right now examining if it's possible to have a top-down controlled cryptocurrency. And that's of course where they're going, where they're experimenting. Uh, I think it refutes the main purpose of a cryptocurrency mm. uh' you know, it's the whole blockchain idea. It doesn't make sense to have a blockchain if you want a centralized solution uh, that's what I think, but still they piggy begging on this uh, discovery uh, out there. And so we can tell. Maybe people are gullible enough to buy a Chinese central bank uh, emitted its uh, cryptocurrency sometime in the future. And maybe it forms part of a portfolio, which is meant to replace the dollar in international transactions, maybe in oil uh, exchanges and so on. So I think that's one plausible way that they are trying trying to analyze and examine. Yeah. Uh, and I'm convinced that sooner or later uh, the reserve currency dollar cannot be sustained uh, forever because having the reserve currency leads to a negative side effect. It's that for a long while it's you're enriching yourself at the cost of other countries and other mm-hmm. producers. and At the same time, you don't have to produce uh, at the amount that you're consuming, So the U.S. is leading in consumption but is lacking in production. And if you look at the production infrastructure in the United States, it more or less looks like a third-world country Uh, right now. You see the Rust Belt uh, and and so on. And uh, that's all due to the possibility of the United States to just export dollars. Uh, uh, so people have to buy dollars not because they want American goods and services because they need to buy resources uh, and so on. And if you want to buy oil today, you need a dollar. Or they want to invest in U.S. bonds. Uh, it's the financial markets that gather a lot of those dollars running around and they don't have to purchase American goods. Otherwise, uh, we have totally different exchange rate. uh, may even be a hyperinflation in the United States uh, um, because they can't back that demand up by production.
1: Speaking of backing up something, what role should a nation state play in your opinion? Um, It seems that the state as a concept to as I see it, protect and build basic infrastructure for its population is not the worst idea. But uh, ideology and personal political interests often destroy or have already destroyed the trust in the systems. Uh, How would you envision a setting in which as many people as possible could be leading a good life?
2: Um, Well, the question is if the national boundaries are still working and I mean, there was a lot of change in the economy. I think a lot of the uh, politics has not reflected the change yet. So uh, people and capital has become more mobile. Uh, So in the end, it leads to a really hefty premium you have to pay if you're not mobile, uh, because the tax system (laughs) gets you... (laughs) uh, and you're stuck uh, more or less uh, and you have to make it up with a very high productivity uh, if you're left over and that's uh, uh, a fight which I think you can't uh, win in the end uh, unless the states become more totalitarian. So I think there'll be a process of one place, the state, the national state trying to control more of uh, the inflows and outflows. You'd have more capital controls potentially potentially uh, And you'd have efforts of states to tax you globally and follow you around the globe. If you're a mobile person, more and more young entrepreneurs tend to become mobile. Uh, And at the same time, you'll have people react to that uh, and finding decentralized solution rather outside of the nation's nation state uh, uh, so in the best sense a nation state may become a kind of community of identity of people caring about something and and uh, having something in common uh, it's not obvious that it'll be delimited by a national borders uh, more or less their pragmatic solution to a problem that uh, um, of course, in the distorted world in particular, uh, it's it's hard to figure out a borderless uh, globe as we have, in particular if you have states trying to control money out of all things, uh, uh, which leads to a lot of distortions. Uh, uh, so, of course, the na- national state will not uh, disappear, but we have two contradicting tendencies. The one tendency is to rather move towards a global, all-controlling state uh, uh, or kind of alliance of nation states uh, to control things which they can't control anymore on the local, or national level. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, you'll have reactions to that and still a kind of competition. I, I expect the geopolitical order, uh, as I mentioned before, to become more multipolar. Uh, so that makes me more optimistic. Uh, I uh, I like checks. Uh, I like that it's not an unchecked development into one global, all-controlling state. Uh, uh, And I think cryptocurrencies play a very important part uh, in that uh, process. Uh, uh, Because the problem with with the nation-state, it it started as not such a bad idea to have a kind of cultural... uh, area in German nationalism, which has turned out so bad in the end, it started as a quite benign phenomenon. You had a good uh, and uh, so on, the kind of cultural movement of having more people uh, using a standardized version of the language to communicate. And you have a similar process in China, of course, with becoming more Mandarin dominated. But at the same time, you have this uh, political illusion that you can use this... Uh, people becoming more similar to each other and having more cooperation and a way to control them bottom down and impose uh, something on them. Uh, And their politics usually is lacking behind. It's just it can't keep up with the pace of development. uh, uh, And then it it produces a lot of paradoxical results. If you try to intervene, if you try to change things, without understanding them first, if you try to fix emergent phenomena, usually the results are to the contrary of what you expect. Uh, You make it worse. Uh, And that's the big danger of of, uh, the nation state right now, by trying to fix things, making them worse, uh, and not having kind of uh, uh, liberty you need to to experiment with the future uh, as it is happening.
1: Hmm. what what does the Austrian school say about taxes I mean is this in this in, in, in the in this theory part of this theory or how i don't know
2: yes of course yes. it's uh, you need economics to analyze the impact of taxes and taxation and uh, uh, there you see that taxes of course are incentives as well so they punish something and uh, uh, that of course leads to distortions and you need to Bear that in mind uh, if you tax uh, people. And usually that's not done. So economic analysis usually is very superficial. Right now, mostly economics is used to rationalize your interests. So you employ those economists that will write the study that gets the results. For if you are in favor or against uh, a certain tax, you uh, go for them. Uh, You really need to look at the long-term impacts and then think about what does it punish, do I, am I punishing things of which I want to have more or not? Uh, uh, and then taxes become quite problematic. Uh, uh, Ludwig von Mises uh, preferred uh, financing of the state via taxes than via credit uh, expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, there's another problem. You can reduce no taxes without redu- reducing uh, expenses, as the United States has been doing under Reagan and it's doing under Trump right now. Uh, And uh, I think that's worse (laughs) than having high taxes because you have a a distortion, uh, which in the long run leads, of course, to an immense credit uh, inflation. uh, And it's now driven by the state. So I think Reagan was not really beneficial in the long run for the U.S. economy. Uh, I think there was this faulty idea of financing the state via credit and not uh, uh, via taxation, because taxation at least is something you feel and... uh, People uh, realize the effect immediately, and it's more or less, I mean, of course, it's a, a utopian idea, but you have this majority deciding and agreeing on their tax level according to what they want the state to provide, mm-hmm. and it's more of a match uh, generally. I'm still skeptical about the majority deciding uh, everything and uh, uh, and to every degree, uh, but still it's close uh, to, to what the uh, preferred preferences of the people would be then uh, the way it is now.
1: In another interview, you said uh, that it will be interesting if Bitcoin correlates with the rise and fall of stock markets or not. What would it mean if it is correlated or not?
2: Mm-hmm. If it was correlated, there'll be bad news for cryptocurrencies because there'll be just another uh, cyclical asset uh, and there is no lack of cyclical assets. What we really need are anti-cyclical Assets because we have an everything bubble right now and it's the first time in history that we had throughout the last few years Shares and bonds and almost every other asset increasing at the same time Uh, and uh, Then it becomes really difficult to uh, bear the the uncertainty of the future Uh, so it needs some kind of communicating uh, assets uh, in a way that you always have a possibility to hedge against a bubble going on because they we know for sure we have the cyclical pattern we never know for sure when the next correction is going to happen, which is now going to it will be coming one time, and there, there'll be just a much bigger uh, need for cryptocurrencies if they will provide counter cyclical assets, uh, uh, which are not just a result of the increase of the money supply, because that's what makes everything cyclical. Just as you said before, more more money chasing few and few investment opportunities. So just by necessity, if something is scarce and the crowd uh, discovers it, its price will increase. Uh, And that's not a good thing. I mean, share prices increasing is not at all a good thing. It's only if you're speculating in shares. But it means that it becomes more and more expensive for you to buy productive assets. uh, And you are getting Mm -hmm. impoverished. Mm -hmm. You're getting poorer and poorer compared to the stock market. uh, And that's a bad thing. And if everything will just increase in price, uh, that's, of course, against what you want to do. If you hold up money, you want to provide for the uncertainty of the future when your income might uh, go down uh, and the world may change uh, and you have different needs and so on. That's why there's a real need for counter-cyclical assets and uh, uh, that's why I hope uh, that we'll see and that you can only see after a few cycles, uh, I'd say, uh, if Bitcoin is a correlated or uncorrelated asset. Otherwise, the hype that we had seen until the end of last year would be just another aspect of, of uh, money purchasing <laughs> Uh, investment opportunities. And of course, it's obvious that it was part of that. Of mm-hmm. course, there's a lot of money running around. That's why you get these huge increases over a short time. It was not just usability increasing, not just people discovering it. Of course, it was driven as well by just money purchasing uh, scarce uh, things. Uh, uh, but um, uh, so we might have some overshooting, but I'm still optimistic that we may see uh, and we have seen for the last uh, few months. I'd say uh, I-, I liked the development. I liked the correction mm-hmm. <laughs> of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think it was good news uh, that it corrected. Uh, that it corrected much earlier than, than uh, now. We have the funk stocks even correcting. So we're not sure if it was just going before and then would be more correlated. Uh, uh, and now going sideways, we can't really figure out. But the the odds have increased more that it's not correlated uh, mm-hmm. uh, with the other assets.
1: What do you think? How long will it take until we know if it correlates? Like three years, ten years?
2: Uh, you can never know for sure. Yeah. That's the yeah. problem. But the more mm-hmm. and more cycles you go through, the more confident you become. Uh, and uh, so it, me, it needed a few cycles to realize that, that uh, bonds and shares are not used, not to be correlated But then the last boom has proven that false. Uh, uh, So that's, you may learn after a hundred years that something (laughs) has changed and it's not working as it used to be. Uh, But uh, Bitcoin hasn't really lived through one cycle. So it's a fairly young phenomenon and you can't really tell how it would have performed in the last correction 2007-2008 because that was too early uh, uh, for Bitcoin. So Mm. we'll have to see how it performs, how Mm. it does during the next correction of the
1: month. After Bitcoin and those cryptocurrencies, now uh, the so-called security tokens and token economy is coming. and um, to cite a guy called Anthony Pompliano here, if cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are considered programmable money, then you can consider security tokens a version of programmable ownership. This means that any asset with ownership can and will be tokenized. For instance, public and private equities, debt, real estate, etc. This would mean uh, that tokens can be issued, for instance, on my real estate and I could sell this token in a small amount or in, in, in small um, parts. This would bring much liquidity. Is this um, a desirable thing to be?
2: Uh, yes, I think it will be desirable uh, in the end because you don't need a cartel anymore controlling what uh, things can uh, become tokenized and which can't uh, be. Uh, But of course, it leaves uh, much more to judge to the individual uh, investor and uh, buyer beware uh, in a way. Uh, The problem is uh, with tokenization, uh, two problems. The first one is the regulatory framework uh, is very much against security tokens and very much in favor of utility tokens. And of course, uh, tokenization of ownership is all about the securities. It's securities that you have. Uh, And I think it would be great to have securities which are not emitted by banks uh, or listed on stock exchanges as they are, because I think they... Or cartels, which are not favorable for a small guy uh, using them. So, uh, uh, but of course, there are a lot of people who would who lose out of that additional competition entering the field. That's why it's practically illegal to have a security token, uh, and it limits a lot the possibility of using tokens as representatives of shares and so on. And there's another problem, of course, there's the link between the digital ledger and the real world. Mm -hmm. You'd always need to have some oracles with all the problems and incentives and so on. It's a kind of institutional problem to be solved uh, or you could use the Internet of Things, uh, some kind of, of uh, um, attachment uh, to programmable tokens. Uh, uh, but uh, that, of course, brings about other problems. I mean, one way you think about it is to have a house and the programmable key, which only opens if you have the right uh, uh, keys, uh, key phrases uh, and so on uh, to use it. Uh, uh, but that brings about other, other problems, of course. It's it's hard to imagine if you could really control it entirely via technology without any institutional framework. Uh, and it's the trade-off, because every institutional framework needs trust costs usually. And uh, where well, we are in the phase where trust is rather decreasing, uh, that's why technology becomes so important. You try to uh, find technological solutions to problems of trust. Uh, and I think that's a very interesting part. Uh, and of course, uh, there's nothing bad about uh, having uh, equity tokens or representatives of equity. I think every complex economy needs some kind of representatives uh, but it's always the question if the trust will be abused by issuing that uh, and if the incentives are right. So you uh, you have a problem of credit expansion only if the representatives do not match the backing by assets anymore. Mm. So you abuse uh, the way that it's a digital thing and uh, you can't really track it to uh, emit more than you have. Uh, um, Uh, And then it's just a token. It's not a security token. Then it's just token money. And I'm skeptical about skeptical about just token monies. Uh, They could work in very high trust small communities that you can have an entirely token money. It's just a ledger of we agree that I give you five points. You give me 10 points later. And then it's not that important. uh, Uh, To to have a security which needs an institutional infrastructure, which also means if you have a conflict, who uh, solves the conflict, who gets the money in the end, who gets the car in the end, uh, if you disagree. Yeah. and uh, if you are ready to live with a technological solution but technology tells you wait you can't use your car anymore because your key doesn't fit and you're not apt to like just break in or or, <laughs> or destroy it because you're angry uh, I mean I think that's a kind of cultural development which still be needed in order to ex- really accept programmable uh, tokens mm-hmm. in place of any institutionalized structure which we have right now and it's working, it's just a problem it's working just for a minority of the the population and not uh, working for everyone um, and uh, uh, I would have a hope that a more decentralized uh, solution might be more into interest of a larger part of the population in the end.
1: Hmm. So now that we are sitting here at, uh, in the Scholarium um, and you have many many books um, do you have any book recommendations uh, on for instance, the Austrian the School of Austrian economics or cryptocurrencies or in general for maybe you have a book you really like uh, that much that you want to recommend it about entrepreneurship or how to lead a good life because I think that's also something you learn here
2: mm-hmm. yes uh, if you Really, I want to understand money, the phenomenon of money. I'd recommend The Theory of Money and Fiduciary Media by Ludwig von Mises. Uh, It's an old work, it's difficult to read as most uh, old works are as a long book, uh, uh, but it's quite profound. Uh, I think it's still quite useful to understand monetary phenomena, even cryptocurrencies, because he offers a kind of terminology and systematic thinking about money uh, that uh, helps to understand even cryptocurrency, I'd say. Then there's a short paper by, but it's also a booklet uh, or a little book by uh, Hayek it's called The Denationalization of Money Uh, and it's about the importance of competition in the monetary order and I think that one was very influential even with the creation of cryptocurrencies I think it's pretty obvious that Satoshi Nakamoto has read uh, if not only Hayek maybe Mises as well so I see the traces of Austrian economics quite obviously in his mm-hmm. writings and, and his ideas uh Uh, And then uh, you can go back to Karl Menger, it's still quite readable, even though it was written in the end of the 19th century, uh, uh, his main works. There are not too many, so just uh, Google Karl Menger and see (laughs) what's available. There's an article, or quite a few articles, but one that has been translated to English about the emergence of money uh, and... uh, uh, yeah, uh, whatever you can find from him, it's useful. But only if you're into theory. Uh, I have myself i have written a lot of books, yes, uh, to, which are <laughs> to more, ask you, yeah. more e- easier and, and, and more up-to-date uh, uh, for someone to get started. Only a few have been translated to English, and in particular the Austrian School for Investors uh, has been translated to English. Uh, and it even has a chapter on cryptocurrency, even though it's – quite old. It was published a few years ago, four years ago, five years ago even. Uh, Yeah, I'd recommend it, of course. Is this the only book uh, uh,
1: translated in English? uh,
2: It's the one that I'd recommend uh, now on economic subjects.
1: Uh, Yeah, thank you. I mean, you've you've written a lot of books. When did you do this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I tend to write fast, but... uh, they're not. Uh, it's not too many. It's it's feasible in the so? lifespan <laughs> that <laughs> okay. I had. <laughs> I, I started quite early to get in, interested in in economics and, and okay. philosophical How political questions. Uh, uh very early. I think age fourteen. The latest I'd say that I started reading economics. Uh, yeah.
1: Ah, okay, okay, then yeah. Quite a time. So, thank you very much for your time and You're for welcome. the interview. It thank was very you. interesting. And um, yeah, I will uh, post the links to your books uh, in the show notes, and also the other books that you recommended, and also a link to the Scholarium. Thank Thanks. you very much. So Bye. Bye. Hat es Ihnen gefallen, dann teilen Sie bitte den Podcast auf Facebook, Twitter oder LinkedIn. Wenn Sie Fragen zu diesem Podcast haben, hinterlassen Sie einen Kommentar auf der Podcast-Webseite unter anitaposch.com-podcast. Wollen Sie mehr über Bitcoin und Blockchains wissen, dann lesen Sie mein Buch oder besuchen Sie eines meiner Online-Seminare, bei denen ich Ihre Fragen auch direkt beantworte. Infos dazu finden Sie auf meiner Webseite unter anitaposch.com-akademie.
0: Das war die heutige Ausgabe von Bitcoin und Co., Idee und Inhalte von Anita Porsch, Schnitt von Katrin Eidenhammer.